Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's uh, podcast, I'm uh, delighted to be joined by the uh, co-owner and strategy partner at Harbour Collective and uh, co-author of the book, The Creative Nudge, uh, Kev Chesters. Uh, welcome, Kev. Morning. How are you doing? <laughs> How's it going? You all right? Yeah, yeah, very well. Very well indeed. Busy, but good busy. So that's always useful. This might be the first uh, Media Cat Magazine podcast, actually. So I haven't quite worked out the order, but uh, we, we might have the, the sort of, uh, you know, the, the joy or whatever you call it of, uh, of being the first on the pod for, for, to chat about things. So uh, whatever that may mean. Um, and we're also recording this uh, whilst all the storms are raging outside. So if there's, if there's winds howling at my end or your end um, that can be heard on the thing, then, then that's what that is. Um, but I wanted to... To kick off, really, just um, obviously, uh, I mentioned uh, your book, The Creative Nudge, um, and I wanted to kind of theme this around chatting about creativity and making a difference, um, making a difference being the, the, the top, the monthly topic of, uh, of Media Cap magazine this month uh, in uh, February. Um, so I kind of wanted to just start. Can you explain? And I know you've done this many, many times uh, since the book came out, but can you explain for those that don't know uh, where the idea came of the book came from and what it's about? Yeah, um, I mean, unsurprisingly, it's about creativity. Uh, but there's, a, there's 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 an odd thing with the concept creativity, which is sometimes people think that means creative work or creative departments, and people think they're not creative. Or, and you know, interestingly, you know, Mick and I, uh, Mick and my business partner, uh, we we co-authored the book, and he is a creative, you know, multi-awarded. Um, creative director and creative leader and obviously I'm a strategist so it was sort of felt as if well surely that should be what he's talking about not what I'm talking about but what's interesting is if you look up the word creative in any dictionary you won't find sort of references to you know skateboards or three-quarter length jeans or hackney do you know what I mean if you actually look in the dictionary definition of creativity it just says doing things in new and original ways and creativity. Um, it's fascinating in a way because the book isn't an industry title. We didn't write it as an advertising book or a marketing book. Um, it's about life. And um, the philosopher Edward de Bono said that creativity was the key to having a fun and more interesting life. And, you know, who wouldn't want that after the last sort of 18 months, two years we've all had. And, so the key to it really was, well, we all know that if creativity is the key to a fun and interesting life, and if we know, which we do statistically and quantifiably, that doing new and different things is the way to progress in business and also the way that you progress in communications, because if you're not noticed, then nothing else matters. So if that is the key to everything, doing things in new and interesting ways why on earth don't we do it like why is everything exactly the same why does everybody do things in the same way and it was interesting the question to us um and we uncovered something something absolutely fascinating which is it's a giant conspiracy Actually. there's a conspiracy <laughs> going on that stops all this happening and what what we don't mean by conspiracy is, you know, sort of tinfoil hats and pizza basements and all that, you know, typical sort of conspiracy theory nonsense. And no, it's it's a kind of twin conspiracy of 
two things prevent humans from doing new things, creative things, different things. The first one is um, biology. So all your natural evolutionary uh, makeup stops you doing new things because back in the day it got you killed. Um, you know, anything you did that was new essentially was just too dangerous. So your body shuts it down. You've got six primary emotions as a human and five of them are negative. And there's a really good reason for that. You know, it's, it sort of really helps you to not get killed back in the day. So biology is the first thing that sort of stops you being creative. The, the second one is a much bigger thing, though, which is sociology. So societal conditioning will stop you doing new things. So, and, and, and that's also linked to evolution in the sense that back before Waitrose and the police and Tinder, you know, if you weren't part of a herd, you couldn't eat, you weren't protected and you didn't get laid. So you had to sort of go along with the herd. And in modern business, you know, whether that be a creative business or not, you know, have we got consensus? You know, uh, is he a good team player? You know, all those dreadful workshops that never lead to anything at all, apart from sort of driving up the share price of post-it note manufacturers. Um, it's not about consensus. You know, if, if you want to get somewhere new, that will be somewhere different. And so it will make people feel uncomfortable. Evolutionary-wise, it will make them feel scared. And from a sort of corporate perspective, it will mean that you have to step away and do things differently. And so that was really the genus of the book. It was, well, we know creativity is the key to happiness and progress and productivity and profit, but we don't do it. So if we don't do it, we have to explain why we don't do it. And then you're going to need some help to do it. And that's the nudges. Okay, so and also the sort of burning question I had because you guys wrote this before the pandemic, before COVID, right? But then it, you know, with obviously the pandemic and COVID, it delayed things, paper shortages, and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, did loads of books get stuck in the Suez Canal or something as well? Like, uh, what what happened to your book? Um, <laughs> when did it come well, out? The, 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 there's probably Michael another book in it explaining. <laughs> how the book came out and well so we wrote it we wrote it in uh mostly over the course of 2019 when we were setting up harvard so we didn't make life easy for ourselves you know we we left our comfy corporate jobs and we were setting up a business and simultaneously we wrote the book in the evening and uh, and at the weekends and actually it's an interesting manifestation of the way mick and i work because mm. there isn't a baton pass you know uh, mick always says i make sense of the world and then he sort of creates within that framework and and that's how the book came about you know we, we would sit and work out well what was the key to creativity mick has nine principles and that's what we set the nine chapters on then we explain the nature and nurture of um why we don't do it and then we do the nudges but we wrote the book we had to hand the book in i think first draft at the end of january 2020 when no one had heard of COVID-19 and, and we didn't know anything about Zoom and no one was clapping saucepans and, you know, doing quizzes and various things. Um, and then suddenly it all happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, it got delayed because things like book fairs get delayed. And, and then there was a paper shortage in Korea where it was being printed. And then, yes, uh, there was an issue with the Suez Canal, which meant that the books ended up 
in the Bay of Biscay for eight weeks because it missed its slot in Rotterdam. There was lots of comedy. But the biggest challenge, which I think is what you're hinting at, actually, is people said, well, you wrote it pre-COVID. Did COVID have an impact on what's actually in the book? And when we were about to publish, uh, we talked to the publishers again in the middle of 2021, um, we really did challenge ourselves on this. You know, well, what what has changed? And and a lot of people, I got asked a lot of times when this book came out in August, you know, well, you know, the creative nudge was pre-COVID, wasn't it? Has COVID, if we've all been sitting in our bedrooms and we've all been sort of atrophied, you know, uh, brain-wise for all these months, uh, has it made us less creative? And actually, all the statistics, all of the data tells you it's actually very much the opposite. So in the first lockdown, uh, sign-ups to creative courses on the Open University went up 622%. And the biggest courses that were signed up to were creative writing courses. 50% of women, I don't know why I've only got the data for women, but I do. Uh, 50% of women in the UK took up a new creative hobby during the first lockdown. And if, if you think about that first lockdown, you know, it's fresh in all of our minds, I think. Possibly not Boris Johnson's, but it's fresh in everyone else's. Um, you know, the, the sacrifices people went through. And, you know, everyone was off sourdoughing and, and knitting and gardening and growing and and all the other things we were doing. You know, people had to suddenly pivot and become teachers, you know, and kindergarten uh, teachers. And, you know, we had to do things differently and, and and embrace different ways of working and and yeah it was fascinating I think the book has never been more relevant I mean what was interesting was so many of the nudges if it had come out in the first lockdown a lot of the nudges involved being outside <laughs> okay handy um so now it got published as we were coming out we were sort of exiting the third lockdown so we were starting to go back to commuting and going back to offices and seeing each other. So some of the nudges like putting in a different street when you were walking on your commute and various things, because at the end of each chapter, it explain, each chapter explains what you have to do to be more creative or live a more creative life, but also what stops us scientifically. And so then you need help. And so each chapter contains five or six nudges, little things, changes you can incorporate into your daily life that will help make you more creative. And what is interesting then is at the end of every chapter, there is a test, not an exam. They're called RAT tests. Now, I didn't know about these till I started researching the book with Mick. Uh, they are a test that psychiatrists give to people to test how creative you are now i never knew this existed random associates test it stands for the rat test and there's a test at the end of every chapter and they're graded throughout the book from the very easy all the way through to the difficult at the end so at the end of the book not only can mick and i say that we've made you more creative than you were at the start we can prove it we, you will be able to do these tests at the end of every chapter and that, and they, they will show you how much more creative you are because everybody is creative. Mm. Now, what I don't mean by that, and luckily most people have been smart enough or open-minded enough, 
to understand this when they've been reading the book and giving us feedback on it. What being creative means isn't, oh, well, you let everybody write the work, because that would be ridiculous. You know, one of the founding principles of Harbour was the power of specialism. And despite what Michael Gove might want you to think, we haven't had enough of experts. If you want an expert opinion, you're better off asking an expert. You know, don't ask your butcher to fill your teeth. You're better off asking a dentist. So what so much of this is about is not telling people they can write work, but saying that you can bring creativity, you can bring fresh thinking, a different way of approaching to anything you're doing. Whether you work in the finance department, or you're a teacher, or you're a mum, or you know, whatever, or grandparent, or whatever it is, you can think differently about that. And by thinking differently and applying different thinking, you will get to a better outcome. Now, in business, that will be a more effective, more commercially impactful, profitable outcome. But in life, you know, I I come back to, you know, I have the book in front of me now. And, you know, the first quote in the book is where we started and where I always go back to, Edward de Bono. Creativity makes life more fun and more interesting. Isn't there that quote by, um, not a quote, or it's a thing where it says like, uh, you know, if you, if you want a difficult task done, you give it to a lazy person because they figure out the ways around it, right? The shortcuts and things. And um, yeah. essentially it's a creative problem solving, right? They're like, well, you know, I don't have to, what's it, work work smarter, not harder. So similar. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's it, 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 I mean, that, that quote's not in, in the book, but I know, I know what you're referring to. Yeah, I, actually, I don't know who I'm quoting. It's just a I, thing. I, but... I, I do know who you're quoting. <laughs> okay, it's, fair um, enough. it's the um, Second World War general, Erwin Rommel. Okay. Um, it was how he always said he would recruit his uh, generals, his leaders, mm. which was you didn't want energetic, smart people because they were dangerous. They caused too much damage. They went around it. For your leaders, you want lazy, smart people because they will think their way around a problem. You know, and he was obviously a very famous, he was a German general, but he was a very famous general. And then obviously went on to, um, uh, he was one of the resistance leaders, you know, against uh, against Hitler. But he, you know, it was, it was his thing, you know, the lazy, smart and and creativity. That's, creativity doesn't mean being lazy. But what it does mean is thinking an intelligent, different way around the problem. And interestingly, the only the only negative response we've had to the book was one person in the industry who said to us that they didn't think they could endorse it because wouldn't it just encourage clients to think they could write their own ads? And those clients. <laughs> well, and, well, I mean, other than the fact I've been a client, you know what I mean? And yeah, I know, yeah. you know, it's, it's, but, but what I found fascinating was that individual couldn't imagine any context for the word creative if it didn't involve somebody with the job title creative writing adverts in a creative department. And it, it, it was sort of fascinating and sad because the way that Mick and I have always worked, there's been a total respect for each other's craft. You know, I would never, why, why would I presume that I could write creative work better than one of the most multi-awarded creatives in the industry? You know what I mean? But equally, why would he 
come and talk to me about a strategy when if I'm the one who's read every scientific paper on it and I've been through, he can then tell me <coughs> what he thinks doesn't make sense or where he thinks there's a gap. But it's odd for me, you know, that creative is not creative work. Creativity is a concept, it's a way of thinking. And Mick wrote this lovely line in the book, which was about, you can bring creativity to any field that you're in, even a big muddy field. You know, you can be a creative farmer. You know what I mean? You, you just think differently about the task that's facing you. And, and that can apply to everyone in our industry. But I think it equally applies to anyone in any industry. And I always say the person I was probably thinking of when I was writing the book was my mum, you know, who'd always said she had a book in her and always said she was quite a creative person. but left school at 18 to become a nurse in the NHS and worked every day in the NHS till the day she retired. And it was almost quite sad in a way that kind of life got in the way. And, you know, she would always, it was always as if creativity was something you did before you sort of grew up and got a job rather than something you applied to your job. And Yeah, that makes that sound. Yeah, that sounds hell of familiar to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> Picasso Picasso had a wonderful quote about it. He said that the, um, the artist was just the child who survived. That, yeah, almost, sound, that we, almost sounds like something Lego would say, you know, like they, they always got going on about playing, continue to playing as, ch as children, you know, not, not letting go of that. Yeah, and fascinating you mentioned Lego, actually, because they um, they invited me to their European conference in just before Christmas, and I I took them all through the book, and it was... It was very flattering for me. And I remember saying to, to the lady, um, one of their chief strategists, Ezra, I remember saying to her when she invited me, well, don't you have enough people <laughs> you know, Lego to talk? Haven't you got loads? Aren't you fed up of hearing about creativity? And it was well, interesting because it just brings a different perspective. And yeah, I mean, they're a wonderful company. And, in, you know, if you look at their brand values and you look at their sort of brand house, if you like, of all the things they encourage within their own organisation and play and imagination are two of their core values, you know, and, it's almost like and I love businesses. Pixar, that, it's almost like Pixar, right, as well. It's like a company like that, like you can't say, oh, surely you guys have enough ideas. And it's like you can never <laughs> you can never keep not, you know, being creative, right? Or like an athlete saying, you know, surely you have enough, you've had enough training now, you're, you're pretty good at running or whatever. It's like, no, yeah. you've, got, you've got to keep, you've got to keep striving and keep pushing forward. Yeah, and the best and, 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 and you can see it, the best companies do. You mm. know, your Pixars and your Legos of this world come up with great ideas precisely because they think they haven't learned anything and they're taking it all on board. And I think you see it in certainly in our industry, you know, you see the best, you know, traditional sort of agencies, you know, agencies like Mother, you know, they are the ones that have always pushed themselves to do new things. They're always trying to, and not just for the sake of novelty, you know, they're always trying to do new things in new ways. You know, I'm always a bit suspicious of these agencies who spend so long sort of, you know, beekeeping or writing children's books that they sort of forget to actually do what the client's paying them to do, which is do great sort of creative advertising and communications. But I think with an agency like Mother, or you look at what sort of Andy and Helen are doing at Lucky Generals, you know, they, they, or, or VCCP, you know, a very good example as well of, you know, always applying new and original and different thinking 
to the core skill. And I think you see it in clients like, like we talked about, you know, your Legos of this world, you know, smart clients, just mm. thinking, thinking differently, thinking how can we, you know, there must be a different way of doing this. There must be a better way of doing this. There must be a more original way of doing this. And, and people don't mm. precisely because, like I said, you know, they, um, the natural human instinct, which is coupled with the natural corporate instinct is to fit in you know it's to get consensus and to get somewhere good you have to be the positive dissenter you have to be the one who's prepared to be disliked be prepared to be different be prepared to be wrong if you like mm. well it's funny you say that about the corporate world because obviously to half the time to kind of climb the ladder you're probably treading this fine line of being different but a team player it's kind of almost like two two polar opposites in, in a way in my head. Like it's like oh, be a team player, but also be the the, the rebel, the maverick. It's like you know, to, you, sometimes you have to kind of get near the top so you can then be yeah. that rebel because you're not reporting to anyone. I don't know. Yeah, if I you think, found that. I think that's certainly true. There's two things I would say on it actually. The first one is we have a chapter called "Be Unreasonable." What that does not mean, it really doesn't mean. If you'll forgive the word, it doesn't mean be a dick. All right. No one likes that. Right. Being unreasonable. Often you're not being unreasonable. You're just not agreeing with everyone. That's a different thing. Right. You're not being unreasonable. You're just giving an alternate point of view. But I think your your point is a really important one. And something that talking to multiple organizations, because I've done talks to um, BT, Lego, Google uh, on the book over the course of the last few months. And one thing that I've had to really remember is that point you made there, which is to check privilege. You know, so I'm senior. I run my own business. I've been doing this for 25 years. My last three jobs, corporate jobs, had the letter C before them. I was chief something. You know, when, when you do that, of course, you can dissent. You can stand out. You can be different. But equally, that I'm, you know, male, white, educated, you know, I have the privilege, you know, of, I think I did have to fight to get my job, you know, I went to a comprehensive school, etc, etc, rest of it, but, but not in the way that a lot of people have had to fight. And if you come from, you know, a minority, whether that be ethnic, or that be sociological, um, socioeconomic, etc., if you've had to fight really, really hard to get to you get your job in the first place, maybe you're a lot less likely to want to smash that consensus and want to come out of it. And, and so I'm not naive enough, you know, or, or silly enough to not know that, you know, what we're not saying to everyone is, hey, you know, chuck your job in, be a rebel, you know, go shout at the boss, you know, whatever. No, it's not that. It's not that. And, you know, and, and again, like I say, you know, I've had to check privilege in the sense of, yes, it's quite easy to rebel or uh, do things very differently. But, but the core truth is that, you know, any organization, any brand, any advertiser that wants to get noticed is going to have to do something different. And so you just really have to 
creativity is not just about rebellion. You know, that's a small part of it. But coming up with new ideas, different ideas, different ways of doing things, different thoughts, you don't have to be vocally rebellious to do that, you know? But the third thing I would say, and really important, for anybody who manages any form of team, doesn't matter what level you're at. You can, you know, you can be an account, but it does take it into agencies. If you're an account manager and you've got someone who works for you or you're an account director, it is so vital as a manager of any kind that you create the conditions where people feel like they can do things and try things and make mistakes and fail. Because failing is what this is really about. My, Mick, always has this mantra and he's had it every time every we've worked together for like three uh, six seven years now it's called hate six he hates six out of ten anything he would rather a one out of ten than a six out of ten he just wants people to try things and do things and what is useful in the modern business world is it is becoming more acceptable to fail and in fact in the kind of startup world it's almost lauded you almost are more respected if you mess up than if you do well, you know. In, and there's a story I think of here, which is a friend of mine who set up his own business and it failed. You know, I did an inverted commas there of failed because whatever is really failure, but it went bust. It ran out of money, right? And I remember him saying to me, oh, I feel, you know, I'm just going to have to go back to a job and I failed and everyone's going to know I failed. And it's like, well, you could have stayed in that job for another three or four years doing that job in that way. Or you could have gone off and tried something and learned something and done something. And I think a lot of times in the modern world, particularly in the world of investment and venture capital, people are starting to become a lot more interested by brave failures than they are by timid incremental successes. And do you think that's because the kind of the world's getting, you know, bigger and smaller at the same time and sort of speeding up and, you know, with digital stuff out there, it just kind of means that people can kind of play around with things. And, you know, I don't know, does that seems like it has a, an impact on, on sort of failing because you're kind of giving stuff a go that's perhaps, you know, you're not building a, a giant shopping center or building or I whatever. Think, yeah, I think pre-COVID, a lot of that is was true actually in the sense of you know you look at companies like when whatsapp got bought for i think it was 19 billion dollars i think at the time it had 30 permanent employees you know i mean with software with a lot of the modern kind of companies and setups yeah like you say you don't need a huge factory with hundreds of employees you can set something up and then it can and you can pivot and you can change i think the other thing that's changed um maybe through covid has been, you hear a lot of people talking about the great resignation, you know, what's happened. And I think what you will hopefully see, and you're hopefully seeing, is a little bit of a reset of the balance. The balance of employees understanding actually that they can go and work somewhere else. There are options, there are things to do. And what I'm hoping that does is tips the balance a bit more in favour of the employee against the employer, which again should mean that you're, you have the ability to be a bit braver and don't have to sit in those silly workshops where everyone agrees with each other and sort of 
I mean, honestly, there's nothing I hate more than a workshop. I genuinely think that, I mean, it depends the kind of workshop. I mean, a lot of workshops, when they're about um, inspiration or they're about education, I think they work really well. When they're about generation, they're dreadful. I mean, they're awful. Honestly, the only people who should spend time in workshops really are woodwork teachers or light engineers. Um, you know, I've never seen any good idea come out of a workshop in my whole life. What I have seen is consensus ideas, you know, where people very early on get terrified they won't get anywhere in the time. So come up with something and then everyone convinces themselves it's right. And what happens is you get to kind of consensus ideas which are vaguely okay. And I think they work in things like sprints, you know, when you're trying to get something done at speed, but not when you're trying to generate a brilliant idea. That's not going to come from a workshop. What could happen is if you bring ideas to a workshop to discuss, that can often work quite well. But don't try and generate them in a workshop. It's because you get to consensus. And one of the chapters is actually, I think it's chapter seven. It is chapter seven. And it's just called Hate Consensus. <laughs> and it's all of the science for why we agree and why we rush to agree, consensual validation, why as humans we, we want to agree with ourselves. And a lot of it is to do with all of those silly etiquette books that were written in the 19th century, you know, about it's just not wanting to seem rude and mm. everyone wanting to seem like they agree with everyone else. But frankly, you know, which good artists, what great art, what great ideas ever came from consensus? They came mm. from breaking consensus. One of the best examples would be Dick Fosbury, you know, in the high jump. Up until 1968, everyone went over the high jump bar forward, scissor kicking. That's what they did. You know, and then suddenly he came along and went, I wonder if I ran at this thing really quickly, jumped backwards, landed on the back of my neck, thus risking permanent paralysis. You know, I wonder if I went a bit, I wonder if I'd go a bit higher. And unsurprisingly, uh, he did. You know, he won the gold medal. And since 1968, when have you ever seen anyone scissor kick forwards over a high jump bar but that was because he hated consensus that's because mm. he wanted to be unreasonable that's because he looked at things differently and i think you've always seen that in again the other thing that de bono says is that you know creativity is the key to progress uh, uh, so um, george bernard shaw said you know progress relies on the unreasonable man i mean i think if he'd been in the modern world he'd have made that quote gender neutral but it is it's about progress relies on being unreasonable being prepared to say i think there might be a different way of doing this or i think there might be a better way of doing this and again you know having spent i'd spent 25 years in corporate world mick had spent 30 years in corporate world and when we set up harbor it was done because we knew what didn't work in the traditional agency model, same with Paul Hammersley, you know, the, the original founder, my third, uh, our third partner within Harbour. And you have to just be prepared to be unreasonable, prepared to go, I don't think this works. I think there's, a, you know, let's take what is good, not just throw everything away. Again, creativity is not just about going bonkers and doing everything new, you know, learn what's good, take forward what works, but be prepared to know the difference 
it's a bit like you know the that exercise what's in my backpack i mean realistically you know and in the real world you do it when you go on holiday it's like what do you need to take with you you know what what's an asset and what's just baggage what can just be left behind and in a lot of cases if you're trying to crack problems in a business world you know whether that's an advertising problem or it's a new product development or whatever you sort of go okay what's good about what we've got now what do we keep what isn't and you see this in a lot of innovation there's a lot of talk about disruption you know you hear people talk about it all the time but what's really disruptive about uber just getting a taxi but with a whizzy app that you can pay on you know what's really disruptive about just eat just getting a takeaway but mm. you can just get branded. What's really disruptive about Airbnb? Just a and b really. But mm. it's someone's house. You know, Tesla really is just, you know, just an electric car with a very gobby CEO. You know, I mean, fundamentally, I mean, okay, yes, and then he's boring holes and going to space, but I get that. But, you know, but genuinely, I think creativity is about, you know, what's the best of the old and what, what doesn't work and what can we take forward and really all creativity is about michael is being prepared to try things that's all it's really about it's like i wonder what will happen if we do this but you do need help humans need help with this stuff because you know everything in us screams don't do it there's a genuine phobia it's called neophobia fear of the new it's why humans you know, it's why we're scared of the dark as kids. It's why we invent the wardrobe monster, because we're more scared of the unknown than we are of the known bad. We don't know. And so the nudges are fun. I mean, they should be fun. We spent a lot of time working with UCL and a wonderful behavioral scientist called Eleanor Heather, um, you know, properly working out whether these things will work. We had we had so many nudges per chapter. We would sit there, we'd work out the chapter. We'd work it all out, each chapter. You know, what was the what was the creative principle? What was the nature and nurture that stopped you? What was the antidote? And then therefore, what could you do? And we had, you know, for every chapter, we had 40 or 50 nudges. And then we'd just get really, really hard on ourselves. I mean, honestly, you'd have ones that were like, right, well, You've got to get all your friends together and set up a WhatsApp group and do this. You go, well, well, who's going to do that? No one's going to do it. You know, it's got to be really simple things mm. like right. using your non-dominant hand for things. You know, use, they just have to be very simple. So you uh, you had a bunch of a uh, bunch of them that you left out, then I guess they sort of hit the cutting room floor. Yo, honestly, I think i think we left about five or six nudges in each chapter and you don't have to do them all you can just you know you can put one in at a time and do various things mm. and they're mostly based on behavioral science or you know phobia therapy is another thing a lot of them are based on because fundamentally it is a phobia fear of the new neophobia humans suffer from it so like with any phobia you know what you can't do is sort of throw people in so it's no point dealing with an arachnophobe and saying, you know, oh, it's tarantula week this week. Everyone grab the bucket, you know, and grab yourself a spider. Let's go. I mean, it doesn't work that way. You have to do it very slowly. You you think of a spider. 
first of all. You get comfortable thinking of one. And then you get, then you draw one, right? And then you get near to one. It can be in a different room, it's just as one there. And, and then you get closer. Then you get comfy picking it up. And, and, and you see it with fear of flying. You don't just chuck someone on the, you know, BA837 to Alicante and hope they're going to, you know, hope for the best. I mean, you know, it, it, it happens slowly. It's the same with neophobia. You slowly get people in to getting comfy with new things. And, you know, chapter four is get comfortable with chaos because creativity requires some form of chaos. Yeah. Clients are forever, you know, the amount of times I've seen, and not just clients, I mean, consultancies are absolutely killer at this, trying to pretend they've invented some proprietary chevron up, you know, alliterating methodology for creativity. And frankly, if anyone had worked out the method for creativity, they certainly wouldn't be telling you or I about it. <laughs> you know, they'd be in a hollowed out volcano somewhere auctioning it off to the highest bidder. I mean, it's, it's, I've never seen anything more silly than these people who try and industrialize creativity. Creativity is chaos. What you have to do, though, is work out a framework for that chaos to happen within. Yeah. So I just, I guess I wanted to try and, I, I realize the time. So we're, we're sort of running out of time. So I, I wanted to try and wrap up with, um, I guess perhaps a final thought because I said there was uh, you know did did many nudges etc hit the cutting room floor, um, and I just wanted to really ask as a final thought you know is is there a second book are we going to see are we going to see a uh, you know all the things that didn't go in before or a sort of an update post COVID? Well, interesting actually. The um, we have we've talked about it uh, and and we do have a second one sketched out nine chapters. We're trying to work out. Obviously, I have a day job as does Mick. And that day job is delivering brilliantly for our clients at Harbour. So what we can't be doing is spending all day uh, writing or doing podcasts, of course, Michael, not that they're not, you know, lots and lots of fun and very useful for people. Um, We do have a second one, actually, and it's about fear. Because bravery is really the key to doing new things. And we realised in that chapter that it was a book in itself, that if this is the creative nudge, The second element is the fearless nudge. It's how you can train yourself to be comfortable in the world of fear. And there's lots of interesting books uh, on this. Um, So, uh, but equally, Mick has another book in the offing. I have another book in the offing. We have one together as well. So we have to decide when we have time. Because we wrote this in our evenings and weekends when we were setting up Harbour. I think. All I ever try and do sort of like, because where I try and leave people is like, because there's about 50 odd nudges in the book. And, you know, a few times people say to me, you know, is there one? Is there one nudge? If there was just one that I could do. Um, And there's a nudge in chapter six, which is my favorite nudge, which is called What Would Gaga Do? Very simple. When you're thinking of doing something, you've got an idea or something you want to do. You have to ask yourself at that point, what would Gaga do here? What I mean by that, Lady Gaga, obviously, um, is if there was an evening tonight, a gala evening, and it said for you to wear a white dress tonight, let's just say, or, or, or dress in white if it was, you know, uh, a gender neutral dress code, dress in white. If you decided to go wearing black, 
you'd think you were being pretty racy. You'd think you were being pretty brave. That would be a very brave thing to do, a new and creative thing to do. When Gaga went to that gala that night, wearing a dress made of raw meat, I don't know if you remember. You wear a dress made of raw meat. I, I do, yes. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so suddenly you in your black dress wouldn't seem that creative or brave or different because someone would have taken it right out of there. And so when you've got an idea of something you want to do, a thought, a strategy, an approach, an idea, a creative execution, whatever it ends up being, ask yourself, what's the Gaga version of this idea? What's the meat dress version of this thought? Take it as far as you can take it. And then suddenly, where you were going to go, your brave solution suddenly seems pretty safe. And so I think you should always try and go for a new and a different and an interesting one and just frame it, put it in a context of that meat dress. And you're going, well, it's not actually that bonkers, is it really? To go mm. wearing a black dress to a white gala, not if the person next to you is dressed in a steak. Yeah, very true. I mean, that actually reminds me of the movie uh, Cruella, which is, I guess, almost like loosely based on Vivian Westwood. And it's a similar kind of thing. You know, you just, uh, I think um, in the movie, um, Emma, Emma Stone in the role, she she turns up in uh, like a, 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 dr- a dress made of rubbish on the back of a rubbish truck. And uh, she's just trailing rubbish, which actually turns <laughs> into a dress. And it's just, she kind of really shook up the uh, the fashion world. In, in well, she is. I mean, obviously, Viv- Vivian Westwood is a great inspiration and someone we talked about a lot. I mean, the, the, the final chapter about failure is you see that anyone who's really succeeded has succeeded in their life you know, precisely because of what they learned from their mistakes. You know, Neil Gaiman has a lot of amazing things to say. Make amazing mistakes, he says. Serena Williams, Oprah Winfrey, J.K. Rowling, uh, Barack Obama, all of these people have got wonderful things to say. Uh, Dan Wyden, one of my old bosses at Wyden and Kennedy, he always said that no one's of any use to you unless they failed at least three times. <laughs> you know, and... And he knows a thing or two about creativity, by the way. <laughs> works, uh, yeah, and, and, and it's true. You've just got to be prepared to try things, you know. And Vivian Westwood is somebody who, yeah, he, or, or, all of the great punks, you know, whether it was musician or design or art, it was about letting go of what was normal, what was consensus, and being prepared to be disliked, you know, which is another thing. Social injury is something all humans really fear. So, again, you've got to be prepared to be disliked. And there's some nudges in there. I'm not saying that I'm a disliked person. I like to be liked. Humans love to be liked. We all want to be loved. But if you're going to go somewhere new, you've got to be prepared that people will have a pop. Mm, And they dislike you initially. And then when you do something great or cool or amazing or whatever, and then you know, you might come out the other side of it and suddenly everyone loves you then. So, but you well, know, it's the old fire the, fire the storm or whatever. It's the old adage, isn't it? You know, success has many fathers, failures and orphan, you know, I mean, it's amazing, you know, that you, uh, you know, you look around and there aren't many people when you tried something and it hasn't worked, you know, particularly in a corporate environment, which is like I said, any manager listening to this, anybody who manages a team, you have to create the conditions for people to fail. I have lost count when I've been doing this, so many times in the chat function, you know, when I've been presenting this over the last six months, people have said, yeah, but I've tried and just gets shut down, just gets killed. And my advice is, well, go and get another job then. 
Because yeah, or, or it's like, um, or it's like, uh, okay, we'll take that amazing idea to the leadership team and see if uh, see if they like it. And kind of, well, it's going to die there, isn't it? So where ideas go to die, not not to be too mean or anything, but it's like again, it's like you said, ideas by consensus sometimes. So you, you sort of have to kick it up to 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 one team, then another team, then another yeah, boss. And, 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 and look, when I say you know, again, that privilege thing. When I say <coughs> go and get another job, for the majority of people. You know, if you're trying within a team to get something to happen and your boss or your boss's boss just keeps killing it and isn't creating the conditions for good things and creativity to thrive in, in most cases, most of the people listening to this will have the greatest gift that exists on earth. And that's the gift of choice. You know, and particularly with that great resignation thing, now the balance is shifting to employee over employer, you know, particularly in our world. and you know, again, I'm not talking about them, but, you know, so many people don't have a choice, you know, but uh, even if we go into our sort of, you know, privileged Western existence, most people don't have a choice. They have a job or don't have a job. Whereas when you're thinking about the creative industries and what we're doing, you know, there are a lot of places to work. There are a lot of different agencies. And if the current one is not encouraging your creativity, and it's not encouraging your original thinking, go and find someone who does, because there'll be an amazing boss out there. You know, there will. There'll be a great boss. You know, there'll be one of those great things. I mentioned Mother earlier. You know, you think of Katie McKay Sinclair, you know, somebody like a really smart leader out there who will encourage creativity, you know, and they will. They'll be there, you know. Sometimes they'll be at a big agency, sometimes at a small agency. I mean, obviously, you can do what I did, which is go and set up your own thing. You know, be your own boss. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> you know. If you can do it, if you can do it, it's a, it's a good thing to do. I realise uh, we are we are running out of time rapidly, um, if not over time. But uh, it's probably because I could talk to you all day about this. But we are going to have to to wrap up. So um, yeah, I just uh, any final thoughts before before we before we end? I think just creativity is the key to a more fun and more interesting life you know and why wouldn't you want that you know i don't if you have the choice you know we think of everything we've been through everything we've all been through collectively and individually over the last two years you know it's sort of a lot of it has made me realize that you know not to get over serious about it but life is fragile you know this and we haven't got long. And if you are lucky enough to have the choice of what you do for a living, then why would you not want to choose something that was more fun and more interesting? And, you know, I'm a strategist, right? And I'm supposed to be the sort of rational, level-headed, logical pattern one, you know? But I think creativity is the keys to strategy. Think about it. You know, your strategy has to be a new and different way of doing something. Otherwise, you can just be replaced. And I think the last quote, the, the quote I always loved around that was Coco Chanel's quote about, you know, in order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. And if you're not different, you are replaceable. And I think in our industry, which is hugely oversubscribed, you've got way too many agencies chasing way too few clients and client projects. So the only way you can differentiate, there's only two ways you can differentiate. 
be the cheapest or be the best. And frankly, there's not a lot of profit in being the cheapest. There's an awful lot of profit in being the best because you can't get replaced. Definitely. Well, that sounds a, a great place on, on which to end. So, uh, yeah, I just want to say uh, thanks, Kev, for uh, coming on the uh, Media Cat magazine podcast. My pleasure, Michael. And remember always that the Creative Nudge is available from all good bookstores and Amazon. Exactly. Yes, we will, <laughs> we will be putting a, a link in the show notes to it for, for people to buy it. And uh, we obviously highly recommend it. And um, we'll probably get a review of the book on, on the website as well soon as well. So, yeah, for now, thanks very much. Thanks, Michael.